0: I think we're about good I'm gonna turn the heater off
1: I'm putting my cans on
0: I know this is a bit like I'm possibly about to squirt you with a water pistol and you're about to come back at me with a blunderbuss but one of the charming things about you I think is that you don't sharpen a pencil over anything
1: well you're right I did I just did it over the table and left this pile of pencil shavings which is gross, but I think, you know, the thing is, is that what I always feel is that when you comment on anything to do with me and tidiness, yes. your personal habits are so slovenly that it just seems insane to me. Be a slob, but then understand the absurdity when you criticize somebody else's whatever I'm being when I'm when I'm sharpening a pencil over nothing. Hello.
0: Welcome to Beetlejuice. Hello. With Jeff Lloyd. What? Because everything's better with the Beatles. Yes, yeah, just something a bit more because it, it sounds a bit dead when you hear it. it just doesn't intro. How about this then? Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. That's this it. is Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Yeah, we'll have him. We'll have him. So don't it is it, it for that. Isn't there something interesting about the dynamic of a marriage there that in a friendship or a work relationship before there's a criticism, you have to couch it by saying, look, I know I'm the world's worst for this, but however, in a marriage, you just say the thing and then that thing seems in some way too harsh.
1: Yeah, there's no right way to give a criticism.
0: But I think this does tie into the beatles oh it does because
1: what we do if we're going to criticize each other we both say peace and love peace and love you started doing this thing where you leave your shoes could i just ask you yeah that's fine which is of course a a ringoism it
0: is but i think in that band there was no softening the blow i think if one of them thought something they'd just say it In a harsh way. I also think that they weren't particularly free with each other with their compliments, um, but they they could easily criticize. And I think what you see at the end of the Beatles is Paul being hyper conscious of this. And when he is trying to criticize, because he's got an idea in his head on how he wants something done, he then tries this soft soaping. And if anything, because that's not the way they operate as a unit, it made it worse. it, It made it worse, yeah. Anyway. Hello. Welcome to Beetlejuice Extra Squeeze. The thing I'm excited about, no disrespect to you, Sarah, on this episode is I'm going to play out the long version of the conversation I had with the guys from the Nothing Is Real podcast, which is this brilliant Beatles podcast.
1: I think you came downstairs and you said, I've had one of the conversations of my life. I did
0: say that. I did. And you
1: were so happy that it was annoying
0: Imagine having all this stuff in your head and no, not no, no, being no, no. able but to talk to. I understand, but what I'm saying it is, is that it, it,
1: it was more the level of joy that you felt was less. Oh my god! There was a percentage of me that was like, "Oh, how lovely for him! He's had this great evening," I guess. But either because I was sort of annoyed that I'd spend an hour and change waiting for you, even though I sort of knew you had to do what you had to do, you were so happy that it was weird. It felt disturbing to me how elated you were from talking to these
2: guys.
1: (laughs) But also like, okay, it's better that than that you're miserable. I'd rather have you come down sort of disturbed in your elation than in a terrible mood.
0: And I loved it so much. And I'm just not a sociable person. And it made me think, if socializing with people just involved talking about the Beatles with people who are as geeky about it as I am maybe I would be socially competent
1: well I think you can but it takes effort that's the thing when I give you a task of like you have to it's been so long since we've been out in a social setting and then when we have been out with people it's like we've picked couples very specifically that you delight in being around so I haven't seen we haven't had an episode in a really long time where I've been like I need you to not leave me alone with the, you know, bearing the brunt of the socializing in this situation. That ha- hasn't happened in a long time. But when I task you with that, you can do a fine job of it. You just find it exhausting.
0: I also, if we're on one of those nights out that you're talking about, I have to almost like think of a set list in the afternoon of the things I'm going to talk about.
1: Did you do that last night? We had a Zoom date last night.
0: No, and I really enjoyed it. And it was You just, didn't
1: come up with a set list?
0: I didn't come up with a set list. But I do remember thinking, if only Maggie and Joey knew this other me that can have these animated conversations about the Beatles. Of course, it wouldn't be interesting to them but they would just see this whole other side of me.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Instead of people thinking I'm this awkward guy who occasionally loves something into a conversation that sometimes lands and sometimes doesn't. I
1: don't think that's how people think of you but I think that you get like really obsessed with thinking of yourself in that way. But
0: that's how I feel on the inside. Well,
1: right. That's how you feel on the inside but sort of the refusal to accept that that's not quite how you're perceived by people Mm. on occasion I assume it is but I don't think it's like most of what anyone thinks
0: so anyway those that chat is coming up later or at least the bit that we recorded there's a couple of hours that we didn't
1: oh my god I wonder how many of the people who like listen to your show from a Beatles obsessive position how many of their spouses if they have them think that it's sweet versus uh, it's probably rooted in something not great, but I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> Do
0: you think it's rooted in anything not great with me? Like, in other words, is there a hole in my psychological makeup that I am filling with I mean, this here's Beatles the stuff, obsession? I
1: think that anything weird is probably, so what I'm thinking about now, I was like, what are other things that's weird about people that I can think of? And what I thought, the first thing that came to mind is said with respect, but I don't mean it, people who run marathons. I, I've i got a real be in my bounded about marathon runners. As
0: in what you're really running away from.
1: Yeah, sort of. Or I think like take care of your body. I think exercise, but it's such an extreme thing to go through physically that I think, I never find it impressive. I There's something about the New York City- All the
0: money, people? do you not think some people just, do it for there a sense of ways. purpose and running yes, um, I and, think people, and, I ask, and for raising money for charity. What if somebody has lost uh, a relative to a particular illness? Totally. And, yeah.
1: But then that's exactly the point. You've suffered tremendous uh-huh. grief. Yeah. And that grief is, Um, I think it gives people purpose. And I think having purpose is a beautiful thing. But I think arriving at the purpose that is I'm going to do this physically horrendous thing to my body, I'm not going to go too much further into this because I know you don't like (laughs) what I'm saying. But my point is your Beatles obsession, you know... I'm sure it comes from a sense of otherness and loneliness somewhere. I, I think I sound like an idiot. I think I should walk away from this. I think I should step away from
0: this. Here's what, I, here's what I think. Yeah. I think I'm somebody who found this music, found joy in the music, thought I'd like to know a bit more about that. And then when I started investigating the story and reading about it, there was joy in the story. And it feels limitless, both what's in the music and what I can get out of that. And what's in the the people and the events and the ripple effects of it?
1: I think probably what's going on for me is I resent people who are able to fully commit to projects and areas of interest that I myself are not diligent enough. I'm not. I'm not diligent enough for. So I bet I'm just jealous of people who can run marathons, and which I could never do, and jealous of people who have like these this unbelievable depth of knowledge of something which I don't have at
0: all. Is there anything that you have? ever been interested in to the point of considering yourself a fan
1: like you like philip roth
0: you like 30 rock yeah but i I don't think you'd read a book about either of those things
1: no no i've read i've all i've been meaning to read this book by one of philip roth's maybe his only ex-wife but the point being I don't I don't know enough about him to know if he had more than one wife but this woman named Claire Bloom who wrote a book about him I've always wanted to read it but never got around to it and there are books of his that I haven't read and there's nothing about my interest in Philip Roth that's anywhere near your your interest in in the Beatles and I think you sort of like this idea that you have like this intellectual wife who's into Philip Roth and then when he died you were like how are you feeling today and I was like fine he was in his 80s <laughs> But I don't no, I I don't. I don't think I'm a fan. And I think it makes me a less smart person.
0: I've worked with uh, a woman who was a really obsessive Michael Jackson fan.
1: Oh, shit.
0: When whatever his last court trial was, she took annual leave to go to Los Angeles and stand outside the courtroom with a sign. And when he died, she took compassionate leave from work.
1: That's not a life well lived Uh, on her part. Uh, Sorry, sorry.
0: Also, she had this passion. No, 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 no,
1: no, 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 Mm. no, no. I I hope that I, I think that if you wouldn't take compassionate leave. Here's all I'm trying to say. You wouldn't take compassionate leave if Paul died. Right. And if you were to do that, I would have you in a therapist's office (laughs) because it's not loving something very deeply and learning all about it. There's a lot of ways to think that I think there are all these beautiful things that that can reflect about somebody. But then when it becomes personal on that level, I don't think there's any argument that it's it's instant you know it, it aligns with good mental health
0: do you have any questions arising from this week's beetlejuice the radio show
1: yes i do so you were talking about um the mr kite you played mr kite mm-hmm. which is not called mr kite is being
0: it? for the benefit of mr kite yeah
1: so and then you were talking about that like w- what i think is the only beatles memorabilia that we have in our home
0: ish so i'm You've sitting got
1: people buy you beatles stuff all yes. the time so we have so much beatles stuff in our house but memorabilia right yeah i'm not really that interested. that in memorabilia. you sort of don't do that and that's the one thing that we have yeah and it sits in our living room mm. it sits on one side of a wall and then on the opposite wall there is a f- another framed poster that is a gonna say about the beatles but it's basically like a beatles drawing so we have it's, these it's some two... yellow
0: submarine artwork okay
1: yes yellow submarine art- artwork and we have both things hung in our living room and i guess this isn't a question but it's a statement i think i find the the double effect embarrassing really yeah i feel like memorabilia is for the office or the bedroom
0: i think though mr kite picture is an aesthetically pleasing object I think as John Lennon proved um, a Victorian circus poster could be a nice thing to have on your wall and I think 90% of the people who come into our house don't know it's got a Beatles connection
1: yes but
0: so I think it's just an aesthetically pleasing object and then I think the yellow submarine artwork is which again somebody bought for me It doesn't say Beatles anywhere on it. It doesn't. You can tell it's the Beatles. Yeah,
1: that one I would like to move.
0: I think it looks nice there.
1: I really like it as an object. Like, I think it's really lovely, but I think we're wasting its loveliness by going into Beatles OD. Overdose. Overdose. By having two in the living room, but
0: my point is that it's only Beatles OD if you if you can decode the fact that the Mister oh, Kite okay, poster fine, is a okay, Beatles fine. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. So if if you if you Beatles savvy enough to know that that is the poster that inspired this oh. song, oh, then like our... great. And it's nice that you've got the Yellow Submarine artwork as well. Oh, if you're not, something you for think, everyone. Exactly. Exactly. All
1: right, you've convinced me. Do you think that someone can be like nowadays? If someone told you they worked in a circus, do you think you could not bring any judgment to that as their profession? <laughs> anyway, I, I think I you, judge you... it. I think I judge it. That's all I'm saying.
0: It's rare that you meet somebody who is a fire eater or a stilt walker or a bendy lady who doesn't in some way conform to the stereotype of what those people yeah. are. But I, I used to work with somebody, again, who it turned out in her spare time did a lot of bendy lady tra- training. And you you wouldn't have thought it of her. Are you sure? Yes, yes. Because I know what you're thinking and know there is a type and she just very much Didn't wasn't that type. Yeah.
1: When you had Gemma Whelan on talking about beetles and toilets, what do you think is, and keep this out of the gutter, so the word I'm using is weirdest. What's the weirdest thing you've ever done in a toilet? Because <laughs> I, what I took from those some of what you were talking about is like in a lot of houses the the bathroom is the private you know it's like in my house growing up it was the only and i think in our house now it's the only door that has a lock on it so if you're a kid or a teenager and you just want some level of privacy you go to the bathroom
0: so what would you do in the privacy of your own bathroom then because we talked about paul would well, play the I guitar asked
1: you I asked you first cuz mine is a little not like wildly gross but mine's a little gross whereas I thought maybe you would have something that wasn't at all gross.
0: I don't think so. When I was a kid like I was always I always found it strange how long my dad would spend in the bathroom mm-hmm. and I I had it in my head that an adult man must take a long time to move his bowels. Oh. As an adult man with a child I now realize he was just escaping. Yeah. He was just absenting himself to get a bit of peace and you, quiet. You
1: have one. He had three. Yeah. I, we went on holiday to Sweden. This was a few years ago and I have to eat every hour. I'm one of those people and I really wanted a snack. So I like had a snack in my bag and I went to use this toilet and whilst still sitting on the toilet, it was like, we'd been out and moving all day. I started eating my snack and someone opened the to- the door on me. So they saw a lady <laughs> on the toilet <laughs> Eating, and that was the most embarrassing thing as an adult. But then as a child, I used to go in the bathroom to do a duty, and I would stay in. I'm so interested. I've asked my parents, like, how long would I be in there? And they have no memory. They can't answer the question for me. Um, is Sorry, I'm getting distracted by that. My phone's ringing, and it's distracting you wanna, me. You no, see? I don't want to. I think we should ride this out, but um I'm just acknowledging that it's happening. Anyway, so as a child, I would be in for what what I remember as being an hour, I've asked my parents if that's correct and they've not been able to verify it for me. Um, but just think
0: about that if if our son managed oh to occupy God, himself for that long you you wouldn't question it. I if if Gene was that quiet I'd check he was alive every now and again. But I think Oh, if he's just managing to occupy himself without wanting our attention
1: yeah why would you yeah yeah, well, yeah. so well, that's what i'm saying i don't think you know but i'm just curious about was it actually 15 minutes i'm remembering it as an hour anyway what i would do is i would do my poop it would be done and then i would stay in the privacy of the bathroom and in the you know the 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 space of that small room and i would it would be the only place where i spoke to imaginary friends so i had no interactions with them anywhere other than in the bathroom
0: and would you be in in the in the conversations with the imaginary friends? Are you on the toilet? Or I'm on you, the toilet. Uh, so where are they? They're just hanging out with you in the toilet while yeah, you're. Yeah, it's
1: all conversational. So there's no activity. It uh, wasn't like, hey what you, guys, what are I'm you build talking a about with them? I don't. You know, here what I remember is that the setup of 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 the imaginary setup was that I was like a like a. I ran like a very benevolent orphanage, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like I was in charge of these orphaned teenage girls. Right. So I mean, I must have been seven years old or something Mm. like that. And Are you
0: like Miss Hannigan?
1: No. I'm not like Miss Hannigan, which is ironic because I think the role that I could really play on Broadway yeah. is Miss Hannigan. I think yeah, I was I think born so. for it. The yeah. song is in my range. Yeah. So I see a lot of myself in Miss Hannigan. I think Hannigan. you're a
0: spiritual heir of Carol Burnett yes, in a lot of I ways. Mean, I
1: don't think that's an acceptable thing for me to say about myself. But sometimes I think it. Anyway, so it was, it was more, it was a little cooler than that. Yeah. And it was teenage girls, yeah. not little girls and
0: are you giving them life advice are you instructing yeah, them yeah i
1: think i gave them life advice and, instructed <laughs> them. and they were there was the pretty one who was named jenny yeah there was the sporty one named i think rebecca which i had a friend in elementary school named rebecca who was like the star athlete like so kelly who was like the girl next door and then nancy who was like the grown-up wow okay You, um, I'm trying to, one of my, uh, it's not a new year's resolution isn't because it's March, but a thing I'm trying to do now is I'm, Oh God, I'm going to try and tweet more
2: Mm.
1: because I think it's going to, I think being more more active on social media will solve all my problems and not be a disaster. (laughs) With this in mind. On
0: that, just what's interesting about that is I I have been live tweeting the Beetlejuice radio show as it goes out. Yeah. And I've had this, great response to it it's I really enjoy doing it yeah. I find pictures uh, uh, people send me great bits of information or they find pictures and I, I really enjoy it and the whole time the show is going out I, I'm active on Twitter. I notice that I get quite a lot of new Twitter followers in, in terms of, I don't know, maybe not in triple figures, but in the tens of people during every show. But then when I check my number, it stays the same, which suggests to me that the as I lose as many followers by doing 10 or 15 tweets about the Beatles on a Sunday morning and then talking about the podcast or the show during the week as I do gain followers who really like... Yes, but
1: what this is, we've talked about this, is an engaged... So you're losing people who are not that engaged with you and like just connect you to Ed Miliband or something. Yeah. And you're gaining people who genuinely want access to some of your bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, so let's talk about the Beatles and their Twitter followers. Yes. So you said on your show, you said that uh, John has the least. Yes. Which so i hear that detail and i go okay well that makes sense it's because he's the dead one like the dead one but then i was like hold on george has been dead almost 20 years so what do you what's your unpacking and paul has the most yeah john has the least
0: yeah so So just to to run through it for people uh paul has just over four million ringo has two million George has 1.1 million and John has 566,000. Wow. Yeah. So John has uh, just under ha- pretty much actually um, half the amount that George has.
1: So so what does that figure say to you? I think
0: it says two things. I think one is, I mean, it's really interesting because in some ways, John is the most iconic yeah. Beetle, and certainly when we were younger, first aware of the Beatles, or in the nineties, John, as I said last week, it was like wearing a Shade Guevara t shirt. Yeah. To, um, so what's interesting is does it say something about the way that his legacy has been managed mm. compared to the way that George's legacy has been managed? Yoko, I think, quite famously has has kept John's memory alive in a way that is ahead of its time by thinking about the John Lennon brand. you've been able to buy John Lennon mouse mats and key rings and all that. yeah but I, I wonder if because she was so ahead of the curve on that that it's not been done in the most sophisticated way. And actually what's really interesting is I think Sean Lennon is much more active than, in that now than she is. Oh, Yoko's old and yeah. um, you know uh, he, he now runs it and I feel there's been a real shift especially around what would have been John's 80th birthday last year in the way that that stuff is packaged and handled. And it's done much more. It's it's more savvy now than it was when she was handling it. I wish
1: that everyone could see you working through these sentences as you say them.
0: Why? Because I'm picking my words You're so. You're picking carefully. your
1: words so carefully that it's manifesting. the the The, the, the effort is manifesting physically. Whereas I'm think... not allowed to tell my Sean ane- my Sean Lennon anecdote, right? Yeah,
0: I, yeah, yeah. 'Cause What's you are. An yeah. Why not? They tell tell your Sean Lennon anecdote.
1: Um, which was just that I was when I was waiting tables in New York. Um, in my younger days, I went over to this table and I was like, "Hey guys, how are you tonight?" And one of the guys at the table went, uh, not good. This music is terrible, which is a crazy thing to say to a waiter in a restaurant, but whatever. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. You don't like it, but you know, a new song will be on soon. Were there any drinks I could get for you? And he was, he was like, it's, it's really terrible. So they order drinks or something like that. And I go and then I come back with the drinks. And he's like, seriously, this music is so bad. I'm going to give you my iPod to date it. I'm going to give you my iPod. And if you could just put that wherever you're playing your music from and use my iPad. This is, by the way, this was a massive restaurant. Like hundreds of people dining in it at the same time. And this guy was like, just take my iPod and play my music. And I was like, it was such a ludicrous thing to say. I was sort of laughing at him, but trying to not get into it. And I went, oh, I, yeah, I. I don't think that's going to happen. He went, listen, I know music and I want you to do that for me. And I still sort of, I couldn't, it was so psychotic. I couldn't figure out what was happening. It was later brought to my attention that it was Sean Lennon. And that, that was a thing that he said to a waiter in New York City. It's
0: peculiar. I can't even imagine being the sort of person who would ask for the music to be turned down. Yeah, in a I restaurant. know. So to
1: actually say, this is bad. I know music. Please put on my But iPad. people
0: do that. I, th- I think,
1: no, no, no. People don't do that. That no, is no, the no. Next I'm saying people business. people
0: ask for music to be turned down. Oh yes, yes. But I think even that is peculiar because if you are one person in an in a, I wonder what the thoughts thought. thought process I know what is. it is. Go I on. know what
1: it is. They think that they're speaking for the room. Right. And I think sometimes they are. Yeah. But regardless, I'm not defending it.
0: No, no. But I'm just thinking what, what I I would get as annoyed, but I would ultimately think. It's it's their restaurant. Maybe I'm an old fart who doesn't like loud music I or, I mean, or I whatever it is. I think that's mostly is. how yeah. it would play out. Yeah. But I'm yeah. just, you know, yeah.
1: I'm trying to see another scenario. Um, it was Mother's Day yesterday.
0: Yes. British Mother's Day.
1: British Mother's Day, of course. American Mother's Day is in May, which is better. Um. So famously... John called Yoko mother. Mm. And I think like that part of that story has probably been. Overplayed. Yeah, overplayed. So what I'm wondering is like, what in Yoko was going on? Like, so I think that the way that most women in a marriage feel is that, you know, being made to feel like the mom instead of the partner is a very unpleasant feeling. And like a very not sexy feeling. So I'm not your mother, right? So what's going on with Yoke's that she goes along with it or isn't bothered by it? Any ideas? You can't know, obviously. I'm just asking you for your layman's opinion.
0: I think the important thing is that the thing that excited him about her was the idea she was this equal. Mm Mm-hmm that's the point of attraction. I think that's what he felt he was getting from her. So I think she felt very desirable on that level. So that's, that's the primary thing. I think the mother stuff is to do with taking away pain. So again, I don't think that she fulfills a maternal role, but she completes him in some sense. I think that felt good to her. I think, where it comes a bit more into play is when they're in New York and for the last few years of his life, he kind of abdicates responsibility to her. So the the, the the way that he presented it to the world was he became the house husband and she went out and managed their money and ran the business and was really savvy in doing that. And when you think about that, I guess it can feel like mummy Fixing everything and making everything okay, but there's a there's a power in it as well. It's not what you're talking about. Where, but
1: but what I mean is is that why didn't it bother her?
0: And what I'm saying is the things that you're talking about is if I leave my underpants next to the bed and you think I'm not a mother, I don't want to be picking up this guy's underpants and putting them in the washing basket. It's That's not what she's doing for him. For that man to turn control over to you, I don't think would have felt unsexy.
1: And that's what's manifest in the word mother. It's less maid and more boss.
0: Yeah, I also think it's a colloquialism a a bit. I, I, I think... It seems really weird. When you learn that John Lennon called Yoko Ono Mother, it, it seems really weird. But I'm wondering if there's like a little bit of a cultural is, uh, cultural term of endearment, mother of the house, you know, like some antiquated bit of language that explains it a lot more easy than trying to think, did he see her as uh, a reincarnation of his mum, which is the kind of ludicrous thing that people have said.
1: I dated this guy once who it was very clear to me that he wanted me to be his mom. So that was like one of the threads of our relationship. And then one day we were at a restaurant, like waiting to be called. And he heard them call our names, like be like a table for two, John. And I didn't hear it. So I was like staring out the window. And he went just like instinctually, he went, Mom. He yelled at me, Mom. Mom. <gasps> I know, uh. but it was wonderful because I was like, I knew what I was talking about.
0: <laughs> so even though in the moment it's, it's an awful thing for a boyfriend to refer to as, as mom, you felt vindicated.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I felt, I wasn't even angry. I was just, he, you know, he was annoyed at himself. I was like, I was like, yeah, you called me. I fully heard that you called me mom. This is just my point. Like you're looking for a mother figure. I don't want to, you know, anyways. I- So I don't even, mm, this Deca audition, basically, here's what I want to say. You tell me this story about John and Paul having this exchange that involved a postcard many years later that was written when the Beatles are thought of as having sort of been coming apart at the seams. And then you find this very affectionate postcard written from John to Paul in that time frame. And you're telling me all of this. And as you're telling it to me, <laughs> you started to cry.
0: No, I, I didn't start to cry. I think you, you saw, got misty eyed. You, you just thinking you
1: saw about my eyes fill
0: with tears. Yeah, your
1: eyes filled with tears. And that was they're so present for you.
0: They are so present for me and that They're that's, your best friends. Well, that's that's the beauty in it really, that there's this music and there's these friendships right in the middle of it. And then, as a as a fan, you read a lot and think about these friendships, and you think about how beautiful they were, and how great it was that they stayed together for the time, and then how awful it is when it comes apart. And then at this point, you're talking about nineteen late nineteen seventy one. It was really nasty, and and yet there's real tenderness in a note, and I think it's about knowing that relationships can be extremely
1: it's difficult, the, it's the but unconditionality that there's a. Yeah, that but there's gets a
0: there's, you, beauty in the heart of it and the complication and just the the layers
1: i think it's the i think there's something unconditional that you're very moved by
0: yeah or the connection the love going deeper than all the shit that was going on on top of it
1: fine in a way it was ridiculous but said in a nice way.
0: But we both cry at anything. We we both cry at commercials. I know.
1: Yeah, but no, no, no. You're definitely. You, yeah, I'm worse you're than you are. So yeah. much more. And especially than I since Gene
0: was born, it's gone out of control. It's gone
1: so crazy. And I can remember like some bad argument that we had in the first year of being together. And like it was so it was over the phone because we were long distance, and just like sobbing on the phone in a fight. And you were being so cold to me, and I was like, you must be a broken person that you can watch someone cry this much and be so nasty. And now I am moved. I would say zero. I moved to zero when I see you cry mostly because you do it <laughs> so much that I can't summon. Like I can't summon. I can't feel anything at the sight of you crying. It's it's no
0: more interesting. It's no no more interesting. The fact that I'm right-handed. It's just a thing about me. Right, 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 right.
1: Um. So I think a thing that I'm not thrilled by. Mm. Like I, I don't care particularly, but it's not my dream. Is that I think you're. You've reneged not on a promise, but just sort of like if prior to having a child. We spoke about sort of generally what we thought about raising one. Basically, here's what I'm trying to say. I think you are now somewhat obsessed with having a son who is, at a bare minimum, really into the Beatles. And I think there are certain things you're doing to him to make him a kind of person rather than letting him come to it organically. No, I know,
0: I know why you think that. And I think you're wrong. I, I genuinely do. Let me, let me talk a bit about that sure. if I can. So you're right. I don't like the idea of indoctrinating a child. I do really love playing music to my son. And I, I then like following what he... You know, picking up what he puts down and, and following what he likes. I think in that the exposure to the Beatles has been greater. But I think apart from Blackbird, which I know is what's what's brought this up, apart from that, I've not really tried to foist a song on it basically as you as you were losing however much blood you were losing after delivering the child and the surgeons are running around I was cradling him and I was just humming to him now I was humming Blackbird but I hadn't decided in advance oh I'm going to hum Blackbird to this child It just wanted to. to I know I didn't think that you were making
1: a decision at that moment
0: I don't force Beatles music on him yesterday he came upstairs while the radio show was on and I was tweeting Three Cool Cats was on and he said what's this and he started singing it and he started singing it later in the day at no point in that day Hey, did I mention that song? I've just let him
1: I don't know. Mm. It's all annoying. No, I'm just kidding, I don't even think that. <laughs> I, I kind of like it, but I'm like, also like
0: Only once has he ever owned a Beatles t shirt and I did not buy it that for him. No, Somebody I think my sent mom it. Did my mom? Um th- I did once put him in one of those John Lennon style new york oh, city t-shirt looked,
1: even i was on board with that he looked so cute yeah. in that
0: but i don't put him in any mem- memorabilia
1: no but that would be insane I'm but not lots talking... of people do well i think that's insane no offense
0: i don't think it's insane but Here's i don't want know. it you, you and something? i have the same Can value on something? that but i don't think it's insane Listen,
1: it's be- yeah. my problem with it is that your beatles obsession is public facing
0: but that's just this weird accident of my job so why should i be denied because like sharing imagine... a love of something with my son just because like the only way I can earn a living or oh, that's I, one of the ways in which I can earn a question, living but
1: something about it it's like yeah maybe it's yeah maybe it doesn't make a difference maybe it's fine <laughs> I've been trying to teach him um like terrible songs is a way of annoying you so there's yeah. a michael bolton song that i like that's of course a bad song and i've been teaching it to gene to sing at you
0: and i really try not to be that music tonight but michael bolton is difficult to swallow
1: well your son and i can sing it together you can only do the chorus i've heard him oh my gosh all right are we done
0: we are done right here is um the recorded part of the great conversation of my life
1: and then you're gonna have to the great conversation of your life was supposed to be when you and i met in a coffee shop it was up until i had this conversation with jason and
0: steven hours. beetlejuice with jeff lloyd limitless
3: undying love for the band who did it all
0: hello hello i'm such a fan of your podcast i put it on primarily late at night uh, I'm on my own I can't sleep my wife has gone up to the uh, <laughs> up to sleep in the loft because of my tossing and turning and I think how am I going to pass the time and you, you're my friends at four in the morning it's very it's very strange talking to you <laughs> and completely normal because when I listen to your podcast and this is one of the great things about it I I feel like I'm in a room with the two of you and now I get to speak back and I don't quite know what to do
2: with that <laughs> well thank you. Well hopefully you don't fall asleep in the middle of talking to us now. That would be a bit strange <laughs> if you're conditioned that way.
0: <laughs> now, I'm really curious to ask you when you started this podcast, given that there are umpteen Beatles podcasts <laughs> out there, what did you want to do that you what what was the itch that you felt wasn't being scratched by all those existing Beatles
2: podcasts? That's a that's a good question. I part of the Uh, part of the process that happened if I can use such a pretentious word is uh, I met my cousin who edits podcasts and uh, but not long after the Beatles quiz and I said is a Beatles podcast a good idea and he's like yeah he's like you know I think he sort of realized it's one of those topics that just goes on and on and on and on that has a fixed audience and isn't really connected in time you know people could listen to our podcasts in five or ten years time and I think some of those topics would still be fair enough for for discussion so yeah then then we just kind of knocked heads together Stephen about what it should be and I think we definitely wanted it to be a double header because yeah um you know there's there's lots of podcasts where there's a round table group of people and they're just sort of hanging out and that's great but you know it's a little bit chaotic sometimes you know and uh so I think we wanted it to be a double header and you know, we, we kind of said in one of our early episodes, we both read this book, Dreaming the Beatles, which kind of kickstarted a totally different way of non linearly approaching. Their story. Wouldn't you say, Stephen?
3: Yeah, we 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 constantly I think the first five or six episodes we just kept referring back to this book. I don't know if you read it by Rob Sheffield. No, I'd
0: actually now you say it, I remember hearing you mention it. Um, but in real life, if somebody mentions a book, I'm straight onto <laughs> my phone and, and putting it into the notes. But because I'm lying in bed and I'm trying yeah. not to look at my phone, I don't do that with your podcast. And I'm and, I'm and, i'm scouring my shelves i definitely then didn't never it, ordered it can you tell me tell me about it
3: it's 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 a sort of a, his personal relationship with the band but also this it would i think he styles it as the sort of the love affair that the world had with the band hmm. but uh, you know you can sort of trace the history of books about the beatles where you get the sort of the hunter davis book and then you get these sort of quite factual things about your record reviews and then you get um uh, i suppose shouts or, or uh the Love You Make, and then you get Ian McDonald's book, um, Revolution in the Head, and then you get Mark Lewis's book, and they become increasingly sort of dense and factual, and then suddenly Rob Sheffield comes out with this book, which is a completely different take, and it's it's just about what the Beatles means to him, mm, yeah, uh, what, what the Beatles mean uh, to the world, and for me in particular, maybe less so Jason, but his, Rob Sheffield's experience of discovering the band sort of mirrored my my own in terms of the records he was buying first and it's just it's it's one of those marmite books some people really don't like it um, at all because they're used to the revolution in the head style
2: and it's it's a book that's obviously written by somebody who has listened to the beatles for 20 or 30 years and has them rattling around his head all the time and the connections that that makes in terms of you know how their story happened and how your own life evolves and then just random thoughts you know it's like you know you know why were they having a dinner party with their dentist it's mm. one of my favorite thoughts that's in the yes. book you know and uh, so yeah that book was kind of like yeah there's loads of loads of this is rattling around our heads collectively but for years I've, I've
0: said th- this is what i've s- said quite often is that at any given time if if I'm not thinking about something, I'm just thinking about some aspect of The Beatles. Yeah. But yeah. then your podcast, I mean, so first of all, what I really like about it, and I think it's different to so many, is that you don't sound like a couple of blowhards. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think, it's so, working. I think We're getting away with of it. loads of them do. <laughs> I think loads of them do. And you come at it from slightly different angles. You obviously know your stuff, but you don't sound like a pair of know-it-alls. And yet... It doesn't just sound like one of those podcasts where people talk about their own stories of being a fan, which I find interesting, but it seems to me that a substantial level of thought goes into the themes of the episodes and then not in a way that feels scripted. You you do a lot of digging and have a lot of facts at your disposal beyond what either you know, any of us would have just off the top of our head,
2: yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I'm, one I, of us I, does research. I, I'm,
3: I'm the Not one me. that I'm the one that needs a script. So <laughs> I, yeah. that, that's that's one of the many tensions between us is is that I <laughs> I, I I need the, the script, and Jason is more kind of yeah, sure. We just we we'll just go on and talk about this. And we'll, I've we'll, done a time of,
2: clock. We'll, apparently, they're called time clocks.
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we we we'll, we we'll, we'll just wing it. We'll, we yeah. You know, what what can go wrong? Whereas I'm I'm but, thinking, uh, no, I need to know what we're talking. <laughs> I, but I, I,
0: then you're playing to your strengths, though, because I think too many of these Bittles podcasts just feel a bit structureless. You, th- you think, oh, I'd, I'd really like to hear about you know, such and such. Mm-hmm. And then that's not actually what you hear. You hear people with sort of vague recollections where I think maybe, Stephen, because you, you're grounded in having all this information in front of you, but but you're talking around it. It doesn't feel yeah. like a laundry list of information either. I mean, the,
2: the, the podcast is probably a heightened sense of what's happened in real life, which is you know, I I think when I first started talking to Stephen, I was like, oh, finally I can talk to somebody about the Beatles, you know, because because <laughs> uh, he knows more than me, or you know, he actually, you know, he's he's trying to get people to listen to Yoko Ono records or all the rest. <laughs> so, um, y- you know, I I sort of had all this stuff rattling around my head, and then you know, talking to Stephen, it was like kicking open, you know, finding out there's an extra room in your house. You're like, oh, okay uh and so the podcast oh is,
0: God, i mean that is how i described the birth of my son so that's quite an intense thing to say <laughs> oh really uh, oh no okay. <laughs> um,
3: this is a, this is a strange dynamic well, you, know. you would need an extra
2: room in those those events but anyway there's uh uh so 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 the conversations are kind of a version of that so we do brainstorm you know we 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 put them out in, in batches in seasons so season four starts uh uh this month so you know we uh you know, we do brainstorm about what we're going to do. And it's kind of changed a little bit since the start. And, you know, we used to record face-to-face and obviously we can't do that now. Um, uh, and so that kind of means that we're going a little bit deeper on certain things. Um, so, yeah, Stephen has, a, you know, a fantastic, you know, collection of resources and materials to try and dig deep into the facts. Um, and so he'll go on a deep delve and then we'll kind of figure it out so, from there. So
3: so I, I, just, I just throw the kind of basic stuff at, Jason, and then he he can kind of pick it up and run with it. So um, when when we're actually recording, it's Jason that is 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 sort of leading the conversation usually, and uh, um, I'm trying to shoehorn the facts in. You know,
0: <laughs> I know you've got a new series which is is coming out this week, just to wet people's appetite. What can can you give me a couple or or maybe <laughs> a handful of subjects that will be broached on the new series of Nothing Is Real?
2: Well, I think we can say that the, we're opening the season with a double header on uh, the Ed Sullivan shows and what they mean and, and what happened it's kind of more than just February 64 isn't it Stephen
3: yes I mean people people think of you know that's where the, the Beatles made their debut on American TV they think they think they appeared there once because it, it, it's sort of so um sort of iconic uh that that appearance but there's a lot more to that there's a lot more to how they got there there's a lot more to what happened afterwards and then their subsequent appearances which which kind of get lost in the shuffle. So we th- we thought we could get an episode out of that. And then it turned out we got two episodes out of that. So um, <laughs> which is often the way. That is um, often the way yeah. Very often the way you, you we start recording it and then we we think no this is this is going to go on for three hours. We're gonna have to um, we're gonna have to split this.
2: So yeah so the Ed Sullivan show is kind of fascinating because y- you know this legend that they get to number one in three weeks and then we're not going Mm -hmm. to america without number one but obviously things don't happen that way and you know they there were plans afoot in october november 63 for them to headline this show long before there was a total lock and when the single was coming out but you know one hand ended up washing the other so that kind of end of 63 period where they're trying to get a simultaneous push into the us from loads different fronts is really interesting so we kind of look at that the Ed Sullivan and how show.
0: and how interesting too that they were so good at this, this horribly overused word these days but curating their own mythology as it was happening mm. and then making sure that was kind of uh set in stone uh, uh, as time went on
2: but there's also very there's also lots of bits of luck about the Ed Sullivan show as yeah. well that George wasn't actually sick for the the day of the performance when he'd been sick for all the rehearsals you know that he was able to perform that their first you know, that they they were on the Ed Sullivan show four times. But really, that first time is extraordinary. The other three times are not quite as extraordinary yeah, and might but, not have had the impact. But so, it's,
3: in, it's, it's interesting to look at their performance on the second show. Because on the first show, they're, they're sort of, they're enjoying themselves. They, they don't, but the, there's a little hint of nerves. But by the time they're on that second show, they know that America is theirs. You know, they know... The, the numbers have come in, uh, the, the press reports, and they know that America has kind of fallen at their feet. And, and we know good,
2: Ringo's the worst for wear. You can tell it. There's only a week between their first and second appearance <laughs> and Ringo's having a good he's, time.
3: He'd just been in the sun. I think it was the just sun. sun. I think it was the Probably. sun. I don't, I think it was just the sun,
2: yeah. yeah.
3: Um, so, but it's, it's, it's a fascinating. And um, I I saw McCartney in, the land, in, in, in I've lost track of years, in <laughs> 2009. Um, and uh, in Vegas, and the song that that, that kind of hits home is "All My Loving," because mm. in America that's the song, that's the first yeah. song that the, that introduced them. And whereas in in the UK, I don't think that song, you know, it's a good song. No, it's and a it,
0: bit, it's a bit more of a s- 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 slow build, and and I don't think there's quite, there's not quite a song that captures the moment of the shift Mm. in the same way as there is it's it's so uh, iconic that thing and and how weird in a way that they don't start just thinking about the conventional ways that bands approach tv appearances how weird that they don't start with the big hit yeah because in any tv show the audience trails off as the show goes on um they they start with a track from the album which is the, the, the choice is a really peculiar
3: yeah it's
2: or... like all my loving would not have been a song known to people watching at home you know and that's no. the, the song they they it's, kick yeah, off it's with. not
3: it's not the single it's not going no. you know you it...
0: usually buy the audience's yeah. approval with with something they know and like and that and that buys you the uh yeah the space to do and and also uh, uh i knew we'd end up going off at tangents but it's what we do it's i know do. i know <laughs> but it, it's it the 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 balance of the beatles is still more at that point john's band yeah. it's it's changed a lot since paul and then george joined but it, the the fact that paul is the first person yeah. america hears singing is really interesting and also you know you,
2: you go back and watch it now you know paul's mic is he, he he might have slipped somebody some money but paul's mic is working a lot stronger than john's mic on yeah. this. and and the way
3: even so. even the way they're standing Although mm. John is forward of the rest, the camera angle does not flatter him, and it, it, he is not in shot as often as either Paul or George. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it's, a, it's fascinating to, with hindsight to kind of try and figure out the dynamic and how much of it is just happenstance or how much of it was planned is, 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 is
0: interesting. Okay, give me give me one more subject matter you're going to be covering well, in the We're new going series. to be
2: covering um, you know albums the beatles. we're going to be covering the Beatles we're going to be covering <laughs> certain songs uh, we've got one episode that's actually not about the Beatles at all that'll be fun what? we 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 <laughs>
3: two, two episodes three two episodes
2: <laughs> well no just 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 the one i mean it's 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 on a beatles tangent but technically it's not about the beatles so yeah. um, right Right, G- G- we,
0: there, there we go. And, G- and we've G- G- the appetite. And we've
2: G- we, we decided to dedicate an episode to what we think is perhaps the most underestimated song uh, in their cast. Yes, yes. And it's uh, a song we've chosen for you,
0: Jeff. Okay, well, we're going to play it in a second. So, so tell me the song you've chosen. Um, tell me why you think it's un- underappreciated. Then I'm going to rattle through some questions with you <laughs> and then and we'll, we'll get to the song. But what, what is it that you've chosen? From Me to You.
2: Yeah. from me to you, we, we, we were kind of when we were rattling around topics for season four, we kind of thought, well, you know, some songs have a big legend attached to them. And some songs are just kind of not um, ignored, um, but forgotten. Yeah, a little bit underloved. And so we kind of thought, well, you know, is there an episode in From Me To You? And there is. And it's a, a it's a great song because, you know, it's their first standalone single, you know, love me doing please please me have come out the album please please me has come out and yet hot in the heels within like two or three weeks of the please please me album they're putting out a standalone single like you know they could have put out I saw her standing there at Tristan Chen something but they they put out the standalone single and you know chart nerds will obsess as to whether it's the first number one or not but it really is the first true number one in the history Mm. books and it gives them this number one and it's you know it's but, but at the stepping same stone p- from that you know initial start where they're unsure yes. of themselves into yeah. them being mega. And, and yeah, it, it feels uh, as
0: well like a stepping stone between the act that George Martin would have seen at the cavern and thought, is there a way of capturing this on record? And, and then this hit factory with, hmm. which seems to start with she loves you and i want to hold your hand and and it's it's the, it's the bridge between those two things isn't it, is. It? And it, does it, get,
3: it does get overlooked it's overshadowed by she loves you and i want to hold your hand and and then it doesn't appear on an album uh on, yeah. on you know until there's a compilation in 66 it, it, it pops up and then in america it's, it's a song that isn't really that well known either because it it doesn't sort of feature um so it's, just, you know, people, people say, oh, do a song episode. They also say, you know, do Hey Jude. They say,
0: wow.
2: No, you know that's the best line in it. (laughs)
0: Again, this is the thing about being a fan. You can say that. That is a a code that we all uh, understand in this is in this uh, conversation, and it's funny too. As the in jokes, yeah, we're so lucky. Um, Well, I'm I'm excited. Brett, from me to you, I had that song at my wedding, albeit not the Beatles version. My wife came down the aisle to that song, so I'm really keen to hear it. Uh, Before we hear it, going to rattle through some uh, uh, questions as quickly as possible. Um, We we all I think have a tendency to want to go off on tangents but let, uh, we can try and be concise first one would you have rather been a spectator at the saint peter's church garden fate where <laughs> lennon met mccartney or would you uh, would rather be in the room in paris when they found out they were number one in america
2: oh in the room in paris that's that's where the party's at. Because you'd go home that night after the fate and you're like, well, is that a fate today, I suppose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be it. Definitely. Steven?
3: Definitely. Oh, same, same answer. Definitely. I mean, I can't cannot imagine what that must have been like. You know, they're 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 in Paris for a start. They're in the Georges saint Hotel. Uh, you know, there, there'll be champagne, I imagine. Um, <laughs> definitely in that room. Definitely in that room.
0: Which Beetle would cook you the best dinner? And I'm talking about themselves getting stuck and not having a a family member or somebody, or or buying you dinner. I'm talking about getting their hands in there. George. Rattling the pans.
2: Absolutely, George. We've all seen the video. And if you haven't, you should go watch it on YouTube of Paul McCartney making mashed potatoes, (laughs) which I watch. I watch it about every couple of months to kind of realise that, you know, you know he's not maybe superman after all he has feet but of clay he has george, feet of, feet of george, mashed potatoes george could do a good tally and a good kind of chickpea boona or something i don't know i'd, I'd go for george yeah me yeah. too
3: I, I i think you'd have a a, a vegetarian feast i think that, mm. i think it'd be great yeah
0: would she's leaving home have been better if paul had waited for george martin to be free to do the arrangement instead of getting an man man
2: <laughs> i well i you know on the Pepper box set. What I thought was interesting was that bar they cut out between the chorus and the verse. Now this is this is deep nerdiness. <laughs> and uh, there's like this little uh, four note refrain that Paul decided needed to come out, and uh, he was absolutely right. It's terrible that little four note refrain. I think, uh, yeah, who uh, was Mike Leander, wasn't Mike it? Leander, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think. I think it works at the end of the day. It's just another happy accident that it's so kind of over the top and melodramatic that it just, it works for that song. It, it, it was lucky that it was that song that he was scoring maybe.
3: Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And all, on the back, the box set, there is just the instrumental version with, without the vocal and it's almost unlistenable. I mean, it would rot your teeth. It's so saccharine. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just dreadful without the, the the lyric and the, and that that that's one of my favourite uh, performances vocal performances but you you take it off the backing track but I think I think yeah I think they, they were right to press ahead
0: given how good both John and Paul were overall at remembering roughly who did what and who wrote what um, but there is this disagreement about who wrote the melody the tune to In My Life in your opinion who actually wrote that melody
2: ooh um. I mean, the song does feel very John, you know. Um, so, but but it does seem you've to got be to call f- it. We, we we need you to call it. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm
3: uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm just going to call it for John. Yeah, I'm going to call uh, I, for John. I, yeah, I think it's a John. I think
0: it's a John. Melody. The Melody is John's, yeah. all right? Yeah. Um which is the biggest crime against haircuts, George's late 70s perm or Paul's mid 70s mullet?
2: Ooh. Oh. Oh, I'd say the perm. Have you seen him on that German show doing this song? Yeah, uh, I think it's called Disco 76 or something yes. like that. And uh, it's um well Yeah, it, it the, the, the uh, yeah, gosh, no, the perm. I'm I'm
3: I'm going to say the mullet because I've because I've never had a mullet but I have had a perm. Oh
2: my god! That's, that's... Uh, whenever
3: whenever I was at school, I, I which would have been around that time, I grew seventy eight seventy nine. I grew my hair as long as I possibly could, and um, we had a no you know no hair touching the collar And I was told to get my hair cut, and I went and got a George Harrison bubble perm instead. It's more like Kevin Keegan, but um, so I, I I can't I I can't really defend the perm, but I'm going to go with the mullet.
0: Would we be interested in any of the films that the Beatles acted in solo if the Beatles hadn't appeared in them?
2: Uh, probably not, no. You know, would we be interested in some of their solo albums if they hadn't been in the Beatles? Is that a, is that a controversial thing to what say? What are you saying? What are you saying? I'm just saying, you know.
3: We know what you mean.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we know
3: what you're thinking.
2: Yes. <laughs> it's
3: give my regards to Broad Street. is that what you're thinking? No, I was thinking of, <laughs> I
2: don't know extra texture I
3: don't know. um probably probably not uh, although I, I would still, I would still. Jason doesn't like the Magic Christian, but I, I really like the Magic Christian. I think it's very funny. Well, I'm very, do, un, I'm very unreconstructed.
2: We did do way. in our last uh, season uh, a full episode on the films of Ringo Star. Films of Ringo Star, yes. Which, which it was one of those ideas that just wouldn't die. It just seemed hilariously <laughs> funny to us, so we went <laughs> off and we I, watched I,
3: them. So you don't have
2: to. Yeah, and <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing that he yeah that he some of them feel like an indulgence some of them are good some of them are strange but it's uh yeah i think the person who really could have been a great actor was john you know i think john Mm. uh that's something that you know maybe could have been tapped uh at some point in his life or you know maybe later in his life uh you know he he had a certain presence and you kind of look at uh you know some of their appearances and performance even that little kind of snippet at the end of yellow submarine you know yes and john is he just has a very direct kind of on-screen communication he's not hamming it up he's not kind of going over the top you know i love Paul, but he's over the Mm. top you know and uh so i think john could have really actually done a decent role you know
0: a couple of quick uh, yes-no-ones. Mm. Is, is there any way that the Carnival of Light, which is an unreleased recording that Beatles fans clamour for, is there any way it can be anything other than disappointing? No, it's no. disappointing. It's disappointing. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you listen to Beatles, do you go original mono, uh, original stereo, 2009 remasters or the new remixes?
2: Well, what album are you talking about, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs>
3: what, what what time of day are we listening? Um, yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Am I in my kitchen? <laughs> all
0: right, last question. Um, when, in a generation or so, a radioactive cigar smoking child <laughs> picnicking <laughs> on Saturn asks you what the Beatle affair was all about, which one song do you play to them to explain it?
2: Here comes the song. And, and, and he'll say, What is the sun? <laughs>
0: I think what, what the Beatles
3: were about was about optimism, was about mm-hmm. um, kind of sunshine, was uh, this, this, this kind of, yeah, this kind of optimistic view of things. And I think that captures it perfectly. It's a beautiful song, it's a beautiful melody. It's a kind of song that could have been written by John or could have been written by Paul, it could have been a Leonard McCartney song. The harmon, the vocals are amazing um so yeah i think we're agreed right, well, don't don't ask jason or, anymore. or paperback writer you,
0: there's, been, there's been a surprising <laughs> amount of consensus between the two of you on this uh, as, <laughs> as a podcast listener uh, i'm going to play from you to, me to you before that uh, in the time it takes you to be drowned out by the uh, day in the life orchestra um what, what what's the there are people listening to this who don't see what the fuss is about what is the fuss about it's the greatest story ever told
2: yeah, it is the greatest story ever told, with the greatest music ever told. It's still an extraordinary seven-year odyssey from when they shake hands with George Martin to when they call it a day. And it's a, an extraordinary tumultuous series of events that, you know, the world is different because it happened.
0: This is
2: Beetlejuice
0: with Jeff Lloyd. That was superb. <laughs>